Welcome to the UX Podcast, where we learn how to turn a rockstar business into a UX machine. UX introduces a simple formula for personal and business growth based around one principle. We can't solve big, valuable problems alone. Starting with this principle, UX equips and empowers us to pour ourselves into people and systems, scale authentically, and create a life of exponential freedom and impact. And now, let's get started with the latest episode of the UX Podcast. Hey, what's up, Rockstars? It's Matt Johnson here. We're talking about agency mergers and building culture on remote teams. Our guest today is Tony Eads. Uh, Tony is an interesting guy, and I had a super, a really, really in-depth conversation with him. He's a brand strategist, a keynote speaker. He's the chief strategy officer and CEO of Salted Stone. Uh, he's a featured expert on one of Australia's leading business shows that has, I think, 3 million weekly viewers. Uh, he works with a lot of growing companies to develop market leadership authority and deliver measurable ROI, uh, which I love. I, I'm super passionate about ROI. Uh, he loves digital marketing and thriving on growing brands. So you can check him out at saltedstone.com. Uh, a little peek into the conversation. Uh, Tony and I chatted just as they were closing a merger with uh, another agency. And so we really talked about, okay, how do, you, how do you make sure that you're delivering the promise of why people should be hiring us? Like when you're going through that process, you're consolidating, you're bringing other people in, you've got two different agencies. How do you make sure that you actually have a competitive advantage and that the two companies combined actually make each other stronger and more compelling in the marketplace and not just bigger? Really, there's no reason to merger uh, or merge uh, if you're not going to come out with a competitive advantage out of it that gives you a leg up against other agencies. And this applies whether you're a coach or consultant as well. There are a lot of people in the coaching consulting industry that are looking at other coaching organizations that they could potentially buy or get an ownership sh uh, share in. So all this stuff applies to you as well. So there's a few key things that I think you'll pull out. Number one, how to have a true business conversation with a client so that they understand the cost of the value that you bring right? And this is what I, what my, my coach would call the ROI conversation. So Tony goes into how do you have that conversation? How do you point out what you do and the value that you bring and get them to see that in cost and ROI terms so that they understand why they're paying you, what they get out of it, and how much that's worth to them in their business. We also talk about how to get the culture fit right when we're working with remote teams. And this is great for any of us who, uh, even if we have just a virtual assistant in the Philippines, or we have maybe some other people scattered around the country that are working for us, how do we get that culture right? So we go into that with Tony. And finally, how to build an agency that can talk globally and not just regionally. Uh, so there's a bunch of stuff we go into with this. It's super in-depth. I love this conversation. I know you'll love it with Tony. So let's jump right in. All right. Well, Tony, first of all, welcome. Thank you so much for your time. You are broadcasting live, actually. Yeah, pleasure. I am live from Boston. <laughs> so where, where are you at right now? So I'm actually at the, uh, the annual inbound conference uh, that, that HubSpot put on right here in the lovely town. Love Boston. It's one of my favorite cities in the, in the US. 24,000 delegates. So I'm like, uh, how can you say small fish in a big pond? <laughs> <laughs> well, and I, and I immediately knew by your thick Boston accent that you fit right in at home. Where, where are you yeah, actually I'm, from? I'm working on it. I'm working yeah. on it. Yo. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, Tony, where are you from originally? What's, uh, what's your background? Okay. Yeah. Well, well <laughs> originally, originally uh, from the UK, but uh, I've been, been oh, okay. in Australia. Yeah. Australia for uh, most of my life. Um, originally from Perth on the West coast of Australia and, um, and then uh, brought the family over to the East coast, which is, you know, the big growth on the, uh, the East coast, which is Sydney, Melbourne, for those mm -hmm. that uh, are, are grabbing a map right now to understand and <laughs> never been down under. Uh, <laughs> 
I've seen some weird things. Tasmania is the bit at the bottom that everyone forgets, um, but I, <laughs> I'm not from there. So yeah, so that's pretty much. So Australia's been been home for um, you know a number of years and um, been involved in in marketing pretty much all that time. Yeah, and and you grew the agency. You're like your original agency to the point where you had multiple offices throughout Australia, right? Yeah, yeah. So we started uh, as a team of. Uh, I always tell the story like a team of three people in a two-person office. And then we grew to a team of five people in a two-person office, and it was about time to move on. So then from there, we just grew. And this was, um, this was 2009 when we very first started our agency, a traditional agency, very much. Uh, my, my background's always been around brand, first and foremost, so the brand strategy, which, which then leads to everything. Um, we were moving more from you know, brand deliverables, um, offline marketing into more online digital marketing, which was obviously the trend of how things were going. Um, and then we joined, uh, we became a HubSpot partner in 2013 for about six months. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from there, loved the product, it worked for us, believed in it, which is one thing we've always done. Any new thing we want to do, we, we do it for ourselves first. If it doesn't work for us, it's not going to work for others. And then 2014 became a partner. And uh, in the last four years, we've uh, grown to the first Diamond partner, which is a, a status of the kind of HubSpot ecosystem, uh, the, the only Diamond partner in uh, Australia, New Zealand. Nice. And there's, as I understand it, there's only what, 14, 15 diamond partners in the world, right? Uh, a little bit more. I think it's the 36 now. So oh, is it really? okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's all over the globe in, in well, as okay. far away parts as, you know, outside the U S certainly there's a, there's others. Gotcha. Well. Yep. Okay. So, uh, so you got, so you've got offices throughout You're you're focusing on branding. Um, and then, you know, flash forward to what, what year you start looking at merging with what is now Salted Stone. Salted Stone. So we got, um, so what happened is, and, and, and this is, I suppose, two-sided. One is the, the maturity and growth of the business, but it's also the fact that, um, you know, back in 2014, we found a software product out of HubSpot that could do everything. And the fact that the guys continually innovate. So each year at this conference where we are right now, new releases that they've been working on for a year, um, come into play that fit with what the market trend's doing. Um, so it's a twofold. It's how we've grown as a, as a company in terms of um, maturity, but also backboning, if you like, on how the guys are doing with HubSpot as a software platform. So those two together have, have kind of paralleled. But we got to a point where we've reached Diamond. It's kind of what next? Um, so we started um, discussions with um, with a number of other partners that are in a similar situation where they were looking to say, well, we've got, as far as we, we've kind of hit the ceiling. Where do we go from here? And obviously, you look outside of the region that you play in. Yeah. Um, and therefore, we, um, you know, cut a long story short, out of three or four that we spoke to, we, we synergized a lot closer with Sorted Stone, first and foremost, as a culture fit. And that's been super important to me from day one, that culture is paramount. Um, and also something that HubSpot, I think, believe in as well, is that, you know, if your team love coming to work and the glue is there, um, you're always going to be able to build a strong foundation for a successful business. Um, so the culture was great. We met their team, they met our team. We went through the, the kind of the test that if we took five of our team and put them in their office, how would that look? How would it feel? And we thought, yeah, we feel that five of ours could go in there or five of theirs could come into our office and nothing would change. Like the guys would get on, work would get done and it would be a positive move. Gotcha. Yeah. And, and I definitely want to dive into a little bit on the, the process of kind of feeling that out and, and what the results are of the merger and kind of work, what you're working on right now. Cause you're still very much in that, like just literally coming out of that process. Cause the merger went through in what July, like just a couple months ago. 
Yeah, so 1st of July was when we, yeah. we uh, actually launched the, the, new, the new joint company. And then 1st of August was the official kind of like um, go to market. So really a month in terms of being in the market, a month mm-hmm. to kind of get our feet on the ground before that. And, and how, does that, how does the new kind of, um, the, con- the competitive advantage that you put out there into the market, like with the new company, how does that tie back into your background and what the original agency was about? Yeah, great question. Um, I, I, I think it's like the fact now that um, we can, uh, so, so, we, so we have some key clients. So in the growth that we've gone through in the, in the four years, we've naturally attracted bigger clients with a global footprint, um, but only getting the business for the APAC region. Now we've got the opportunity to bring in our US counterparts to start bringing some of the US business for some of that, that uh, business that we've got from these global companies. But even more deeper than that is that the benefit for the APAC kind of businesses that we look after and the benefit for the US companies is that we can cross-pollinate our strategies, um, our ideas, and that kind of stuff. Because we always we all know we're living on a very flat kind of platform now. The, 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 the globe is like we're all, you know, the internet has brought us all together. You know, we're all doing business on a global stats. So it kind of makes sense to have an agency that can kind of talk more globally rather than just isolated in a particular region. That's, I think, the big uplift. Gotcha. Okay, so that makes sense. Um, Because, yeah, I'm I'm always curious about that because to me, like a a company, even an agency when it gets to be larger, still ends up boiling down to, it ends up being kind of an expression of the X factors, if you will, those unique skills and abilities of the people that are at the very heart of the business. And a lot of times in in companies, it's still the founders. Uh, In your case, it might be the founders of the individual agencies that now make up this bigger entity but it's still it's still you guys it's still the what three or four probably yep. people at the center right yeah yeah i think i think the important part is you know you and this is something i suppose if i wind back to when we were a smaller agency one of our big grow areas for us was um putting on um so andrew is 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 my kind of operations counterpart so having somebody that that can really look at how the business is 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 working is operationally whereas my head's more in this kind of strategy growth that kind of stuff because if you Mm -hmm. it's almost like if you've got your head in the clouds but no feet on the ground you know it's 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 there's disaster happening in the bit in the middle um Mm -hmm. so i think i think if i wind back one of the very key things that we did or the lessons we learned was to do an organizational chart of what the agency would look like when we felt it was done and this is pre-merge pre having any of that vision and it was a 40-person agency. And at the time, we were probably about maybe six or seven. Um, and we, put our, we didn't put our names in every box, but we yeah. put in, well, what would it look like? If we were running a 40-person agency right now in this HubSpot community, inbound kind of focus, what would it look like? And it's just funny how we're now running a 60-person agency with a similar structure. It's, this changes, but a similar structure to what we did. But it made us think big business instead of small business. And I think if you don't start putting in layers of, team leads, account managers, um, divisional people that just have, they, they, you know, they work in whether it's creative or client success or technical marketing. If, if everyone's trying to do everything within the agency, you're kind of like a um, jack of all trades and a master of none as the saying goes. Yeah, couldn't agree more. And, and I, don't, I don't know if you're familiar with the book or not, but there's, um, there's a great series of books um, called like Traction and um, get a grip, and which isn't like a novelized version of it. But basically what they talk about is there's the concept of one person being the visionary and the yep. other person being the integrator, which it sounds like you guys had that really yep. good natural fit between you and your other one, like your yep. key founder, right? Yeah, 
Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I think so. I think sometimes I think as well when you're, you're the founder and you create a business is, is, is you can just be too excited about, like even with HubSpot, like the, the growth of our business, we went through four years um, of, of hyper growth. So the first two, the first two years that took us to say, say around 2016 was massive. Like we got to the platinum status, we, we were having bigger clients, but we actually took our foot off the pedal at that stage. Um, and as an entrepreneur, you might not, you just might keep going until you realize that you've got a very unstable ship. But what we did is we took a step back and we said, we're a platinum agency of HubSpot, but we're still delivering a silver service or a gold service, which is the lower tiers down. Why we now, we can't keep going and be a diamond partner delivering a silver service. So we took a, a year off the pedal, as it were, and just kind of just plateaued a little. It still grew a bit, but not at the same aggressive rate in 2016. And we implemented an agile methodology, which is... Um, which is, again, another takeaway for, for other agencies is um, agile in the sense of not manufacturing agile, but we actually um, did a whole bunch of high-level training from um, a company out of, actually, funny enough, Los Angeles that work with agencies to put a little bit of agile in, which gives you some kind of grounding, but then the flexibility to be able to own it yourself and still work within your creative space, as most agencies are. That thing for us was a massive game changer. Um, mm -hmm. It allowed us to roadmap projects, be more transparent with clients about budget. Um, and I can say like pretty much from 2017 on, our budgets grew by 50, 60, 70% for the same projects that we were doing before. But now we understood what was involved. So it's scary because it makes you think that you've been doing these projects for you know, less profit than you, you could have been or even running at a loss. Yeah. So, But the clients loved it because the clients loved the fact instead of them just giving a there's a budget X for that website and not, they don't know you actually map it all out for them. And you say, this is what you want and this is how much it's going to cost because this is what's involved. Mm -hmm. um, and that helped align our team um, into these sessions that we do now. So the, the key people are involved in those project mapping sessions, the clients involved. It's very much a, a partnership with us and the customer on, on everything we do from a campaign to a, to a project like a website or something like that. Yeah. And, and man, that's huge because, uh, yeah, be that ability to have a true business conversation with a client to where they understand why they're paying you what they're paying you. That's yeah. not just some sort of results-based or value-based pricing in the sense that you came up with a figure out of thin air based on what you think you can get away with charging yeah. them, which I think is a lot of clients fear that that's what's being done to them. Yeah. Uh, you know, and to be able to show them like, look, here's the exact process. Here's the methodology that we follow. Here are the costs along the way. So that like, hey, we, you can see what our profit margins are. And we're yeah. proud, like, we can, we can tell you and they're transparent yeah. and we don't mind telling you because this is what we need to make for it to be worth it. But it's also acceptable to you. Yeah. And you know, it, it, it's funny because any of us in advertising or marketing, whatever you want to call it today, it's all about conversational marketing. We're all, we all know that the, the, the transparent, people don't buy ads anymore. They want to they wanna know that the brand is true to its uh, meaning and it's uh, transparent with its customers. But yet sometimes we don't. We still hold on to those old school methodologies where it's like, we can't tell them the price. We can't tell them our hourly rate. Mm -hmm. And we found by being upfront and transparent, they know our hourly rates, but they know how, how much is involved in the job. Um, it takes the, the, the elephant in the room, which I think for any, anybody in a service business is the price at the end. You know, we're not in a retail business. At some point, you've got to bring out the clanger that says, this is how much this is going to cost you. This way, it brings it out earlier in the piece. 
gives the client the option to, to trim it down. We don't say, look, there's your roadmap. That's what you want. It's going to cost you a hundred grand. And they go, oh, well, I've only got 50. That's fine. Let's, let's together trim it back down to an MVP that's 50 grand, knowing that the rest of the stuff you can do down the track. Mm-hmm. But lo and behold, they normally somehow find that magic missing 50 grand budget that they never had at the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> under, under the mattress. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's uh, let's turn back to the merger for a second, because sure. uh, what I love what you guys have done is that, and, and this is where I feel like a lot of mergers and, and acquisitions and sales and things like that have the potential to go wrong, which is that the merger isn't built to actually deliver deliver a competitive advantage that the, the ideal clients actually care about. So if you're selling, like for example, if you guys were building, you know, multiple offices across Australia and now into the states, but you were selling to people that were compartmentalized, it doesn't do a California company any good for you to have offices in Perth unless they're selling in Perth. Yep. And so you guys have really matched like, hey, we're going to do this. We're going to build this agency and combine this agency so that we can go after the clients that actually get the benefit of us being in these these multiple locations. Yep. Um, so what are the things like, so you've matched that up correctly, but then let's talk about the operations component of actually delivering that, right? Yeah. That, that's a whole other thing. Like being able to yeah, say yeah. that you have this advantage is one thing, being able to deliver it is another. So yeah. how are you making sure in the merger process that you can actually deliver on the promise of what you're telling people they should hire you for? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's a good question. We could almost have another interview about that whole process. Uh, <laughs> uh, and to be, to well, you be can't honest, get through that in four minutes? <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> Let me try and summarize it down. Yeah. Uh, so, so I, think, I think one of the things that comes to mind first and foremost, and again, in, in true transparency, you don't know what you don't know. So a lot of things with a merger, we no matter how much planning you do, you're going to find stuff that you think, oh, that didn't go the way we want it. And, and I think the idea and the credit to both agencies is the the fact of being able to be nimble enough to to make changes on you know on the fly and to tweak things to, that work better. Um, but in terms of operations, so one of the things that we've definitely done. So so Andrew's our operations um, with me in APAC region, and then Sam is his counterpart in North America. Playing to both of the strengths, we've we've realised that that you know, so both of those two guys have the uh, senior director operations role, right? Similar roles, but instead of regionalising it and saying, okay, Andrew, you just do APAC, and Sam, you just do North America, which doesn't make sense when we're trying to glue two teams together. Um, we looked at how you know what are the key strengths of an operation, and it's people performance and people operations. So. We've looked at the performance, so the measurables, like as you get bigger, you've got, to, you've, got, you've got to look at how you're performing, like how you're delivering stuff to clients, back to your point before. So we do three-day sprints, part of that agile um, training I mentioned before. So a three-day sprint means the account managers, both in North America and also in, um, in Australia, put work into a three-day sprint. So it churns, it makes us think smaller on tasks, like that big website I was talking about before, down small churn it out, deliver, move on to the next three-day sprint. So we're constantly measuring. So we've got one of the uh, operations um, directors working on, you know, performance, margins, um, deliverables, you know, productivity of the team, like the analytical stuff of the business, you know. Mm -hmm. I I heard someone talk about it once as a, um, in fact, it was was Andrew who's our our operations sort of more analyst guy, like a a Formula One car. You're watching a race the other day and you know how they have all the people in the pit constantly making changes to the tyres and the, you know, bits and pieces on the car. The driver, the CEO or whatever is just driving the car 
but everybody else is keeping an eye on the business to make sure that it's performing to its best to win the race. So he's here, but then you've also got to keep your people happy because, um, you know, if the people aren't happy, the culture goes and everything. So it's those two things together, I think, that has helped us to now deliver a premium diamond, whatever you want to call it, service to our clients because we're, we're working on both of those two together, not, not just being a, a workshop of, of delivering product, but also a caring partnership with our clients. Yeah. So, so the way that it breaks down people performance and people operations, uh, people operations would be what might be considered things like HR, um, and just overseeing culture. I see. Is that person that's doing the people operations? Are they also managing projects as well for clients? Yeah. Yeah. So, so sorry. Yeah. So, so really, so we do have, um, as part of the, the kind of team, we do have a director of HR and culture who's a separate person altogether. Gotcha. Um, so yeah, so this, uh, so Sam, who's is is kind of like the director of, of of people operations, is more about getting the best from the people. So more assigned to the job. Where do they where do they fit? Where do they want to go? Because uh, the other thing, and I was on a panel the other day about how do you how do you retain good staff? Because one of the biggest yeah. issues for any growing company is attraction, but then yeah. retention. And one of the ways that we retain, especially younger staff, when they come through, is to have a clear career path for them. So they might start as an account manager, but then Sam will identify that, hey, they, they really, they've got some um, strategy kind of um, goals here. Let's start working on their career path within our organization so they move out of one department and into another department over a series of time. Um, I think that's, that's inevitable on a big team. If you can allow people to grow and have that flexibility within your internal team, they're going to stay longer because they're constantly feeling like they're doing more of what they want and going up, you know, the ladder and or sideways, whatever it is that they really want to achieve. That's his kind of role. Okay. So that, that makes sense. And, and that's, that's really, really good. I've heard other, other people say that. And the, I think the struggle for, for those of us that are, let's say, running smaller agencies, or we, we want to keep our agency really fast and fluid and mobile and stuff like that, is just that there has to be a clear kind of delineation between who are the who are the key roles that we feel like will stick around for for three to five years, maybe ten years or so, and then yeah. who are the people that are gonna like cycle through, you know, yeah. maybe, maybe the developers or you know, just like uh, there's certain types of staff that just you you kind of expect that their tenure is going to be maybe a year and a half to two years. And because maybe you don't have a solid career path, there's just not enough movement in the firm unless yeah. you have horrible turnover, which you yeah, don't yeah, want yeah. either. You know, no, it's just no, like no. you can't give everyone a career path, but it's, I think there's a balance there. I, I think as well, just to kind of share with you something that happened today. So we, um, we had a session with, uh, with Damesh, who's one of the co-founders of HubSpot. And one of the things that, that he, he did mention to us, he said, as you grow your agency, and, and HubSpot has been very much on this as well, and he was very much for this from the start, is having everybody in the same office or, or together with a group of other people. But he said that the challenge to think about is if you say, okay, I've got a business here, small agency, big agency, whatever it is, you're going to hire from a pool of, say, 60 miles or kilometers, whatever it is, because I know you guys use miles out here, in a radius, like how much will people travel? But you also want to find the best talent you possibly can. So while the pool is good, that's great. But what if the best person for your agency that is really, really good at X role doesn't necessarily come within a 60-mile radius of your organization? Mm -hmm. You then have to start thinking about how can you make it so they can still feel as connected culturally and everywhere, but they work from a remote location on their own. 
Um, and that was a good thing to think about because I think it, there's, a, there's a lot of change in the business model, not just in, in marketing and advertising, but I think across the globe that yeah. remote workforces with technology driving and everything like that is becoming a stronger option uh, for people and, and, and it keeps them happy. Some people love working from home and they, they can work autonomously. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And and a, a pretty good chunk of the audience of this podcast isn't just agency owners, but it's people running other types of professional service firms like business coaching or business consulting and things like yeah. that. The yep. same dynamics are at play. Like all the same things we see in the agency world affecting us are all the same things that our clients are going through. If we're kind of serving that market, which I do, uh, yeah. I see the same things happening where they're realizing their marketing person, their web developer, their sales guy, like all these, they're used to hiring from that 60 mile radius. And now they're realizing that they don't want to do that yeah. anymore, and partly just for their own lifestyle too. Maybe, yeah. you know, maybe they're tired of showing up to their own office. Uh, yeah. a guy here a couple of weeks ago that shut down his, he walked into his agency of 20 employees in LA and said, uh, as of next Friday, you guys don't have to come in anymore. Right. Took his whole agency virtual yeah. and, he's, and yeah. he's not the only one. So yeah. So I love that. What any, any final tips on how to keep that culture glue together where you are in, in different locations? I, I think um, so. So, regardless of it, for us, it's probably a little bit easier in APAC because of the fact we've had four offices down there. So, we've got you know Sydney, uh, Perth, and Melbourne, and also we've got a, a dedicated development team in Cebu and the Philippines, right? So, there's different time zones, there's different, you know, even though they're groups and not individuals working remotely. So, we have a, a weekly stand up. Everybody in the team has to make that stand up. That's the one touch point and, it, and, and everyone knows how important it is because it's that one touch point where everybody gets together. And it's not the typical agile stand up, like what did you accomplish today? What do you accomplish tomorrow? Like business focus. It's more about um, if they're stuffed. It, so I will say something about what the global vision is and where we are with the business. Um, Andrew will say operationally, this is where things are going. And then we were just opening it up to the team leads around around the, the the globe there to be able to say well you know what's on your mind right now what's the week looking like do we have some wins from last week but that that aligns the team for the week so we mm -hmm. all feel like they're one and then the other thing that we're doing a lot more of and even now even with the LA and the and the Australia or American and Australia kind of alliance is is bringing people down to Australia and eventually vice versa like nice. if you've got a true culture fit and as I said before, take, you know, one of the, 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 the tests is we did take five people from one and put them in the other. We want to real, realistically do that. Like take a couple of people and say, right, you're a designer, go and work in Sydney for uh, six months. Mm -hmm. uh, you're a designer or you're a tech marketer in Perth, go and work in LA for six months. You know, that again bonds that culture because people now feel like it's not just about career, but it's also about life um, experiences. Yeah. I love it. And I've got a friend that lives in Perth and, and she was saying that uh, the, the culture there is very, or at least the atmosphere is very similar to Southern California. So maybe for those specific yeah. folks, it wouldn't be a huge culture shock. No, 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 no. And if you're, well, if you're a Boston kind of, even sort of semi New York, then you come to the East coast. Cause that's yeah. uh, so there is a bit of an East Coast, West Coast, same as you've got here in the States. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's the impression I got. I, I stayed in uh, in Brisbane in March and spoke and got got the chance to travel a little bit, but I'm looking forward to getting back next year and doing Melbourne, Sydney, Perth, uh, maybe yeah, getting yeah. New Zealand. So, and just learning about those different locations because, yeah, it's, it's funny how similar the, the dynamic is uh, to the States. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so let's finish out with this. How do people... And number one, how do people reach out and connect with you, both your firm and, and you personally, and, and just briefly tell people... Uh, if they're listening and they, they have connections into the enterprise market, who the exact perfect client is for you guys? 
Yeah, yeah, sure. So, so in terms of um, us, obviously, um, so we've got a, 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 a brand new and I think it's an amazing website because uh, one of the things that we didn't do for ourselves as brand manager for four years, we were so busy. We, uh, you know, the whole, the whole gardener that has uh, green grasses for everywhere else, but his backyard looks terrible. Um, our website did, did what it needed to do, but it could have been better. So we're, we're more excited, I think, because we've got a great website. So saltedstone.com um, is the website, .com.au for, for uh, obviously where, where you know, we are down in APAC. I think you know, I'm always open and, you know, one of the things to share with anybody on the, on the thing there is, um, you know, happy to talk to anybody through LinkedIn. So it's just Tony Eads, you know, um, on the LinkedIn profile because I, I think LinkedIn is becoming a really more interactive uh, platform now for business to business and um and i and i love kind of hearing about folks that are going through um i i'm talking to them all the time about you know any any advice and you know pain points because i i believe some of our successes come from learning from agencies that are already you know trod on the road ahead of us like when we were smaller i used to come here or every year this is my fifth year here at inbound in boston and and i would ask the agencies that were diamond then when i was still gold or platinum when you got to platinum what did you do? And they would give me advice and then I would take that away and know that, yeah. And lost, a lot of them would say, well, we hired a, an in-house marketer and a director of HR when we became a platinum. But then they would finish by saying, but we should have done it a year earlier. <laughs> and I go, well, that's great because I am a year earlier. So yeah, yeah, exactly. That's, that's just sad advice. Um, yeah, that's interesting. I like it. Well, and it's, it's, it's a couple of things. It's getting your operations in order and streamlining that. And then getting your marketing in order so you're attracting more and better clients. So that makes, yep. that makes total sense. It's the investment of the right things. Yeah. And your last question was about, um, what was it about clients, about enterprise? Yeah, yeah. Just who the ideal client is that people can keep an eye out for. Yeah, yeah, sure. So for us, it's like probably I would say, I mean, personally, I love um, working in the startup business market. Yeah. Um, and, and that's sort of an area that I find exciting. I've always loved small business. I always loved the energy of, of startups. And that's becoming more of a growth market, especially in Australia, and I'm sure in, in, um, in America as well. Um, but for us, it's probably mid-market is our, is our big um, kind of sweet spot, if you like. So that mid-market going into enterprise. So high growth businesses that, um, and, and to be honest, not any, even any industry specific, um, probably uh, maybe, maybe less manufacturing and more kind of tech, technical savvy businesses so um you know medical real estate whatever that might be but but certainly we're not so vertically aligned more the fact that you know whether looking to align a growth stack which is you know obviously bringing some of the hotspot software into it yeah. um but having an agency that that really is an end-to-end -end agency so our team now of 60 like everything from from what i do which is brand strategy campaign strategy right the way through to execution mm -hmm. in-house content in-house SEO, all the things that matter to in this in this really digitally disruptive world, we're, we're building it in-house, right? And it doesn't mean you don't bring in extra people to increase the bandwidth, but I think the core focus and the vision for whatever the, the, the clients we work with wants to do, we can share that across our agency and become a true partner. Love it. Well, Tony, this is fantastic. I, I, I appreciate the time and I hope everybody that's listening goes and checks out saltedstone.com and connects with you on LinkedIn. I 100% agree. I love what LinkedIn is doing with, with the messaging feature and just making it easier because uh, I mean, that's, I, I can say that probably the two biggest reasons I'm where I am and on the path that I am is books and mentors and, yeah, yeah. and, having, and having access to mentors to get real-time feedback and apply what I'm learning to my actual specific situation. So I love that you're, that you're open to that for 
for younger yeah. agency owners. I, I, I just believe we're all playing, you know, we've got to build the ecosystem for the next, uh, yeah. <laughs> get loud now. What I was going to say is, when you come down to Australia, we reverse the thing and I'm going to interview you. <laughs> so <laughs> so make sure you look that. me up when you're down under. I will do that. Hey, Rockstars, thank you so much. I appreciate you investing your time, your effort, your energy into the show. I don't take that lightly. I so appreciate uh, you all listening and the feedback that I get from those of you who listen and engage with the show. Uh, whether you agree or disagree with the things we talk about, I love hearing from you, so please reach out. And if you are in the audience and you're a business coach, a consultant, or you're in creative services, and you're thinking about using you know, guest appearances on podcasts and interviews to boost your business, grow your brand, build more influence and attract ideal clients, or maybe you're watching other people in your space do that and you're wondering if this strategy will work for you and how to make that work, uh, I did a special training with a client, Dana Malstaff, uh, who runs the Boss Mom Podcast, we produce her show, and we did a training all about that. And it's called How to Get Featured on the Right Podcast and get your ideal clients flocking to you. And a few of the things that we covered in that training, it's, it's short, it's content packed, it's only about 35 minutes long. And we talked about how to get featured on podcasts in less than two hours a week, how to find the exact right podcast for you and make friends with those podcast hosts, how to become micro famous so you're known, liked and trusted in your space, and really how to, uh, how to craft a story hook uh, that really gets the attention of podcast hosts and gets them to say yes when you reach out and pitch yourself as a guest. And so we talk about all that and a bunch more in that training. So it's available at howtogetfeatured.com. That's howtogetfeatured.com. Pop your information in there. It's free and you get it in you know, instant access to watch. You don't have to wait for a follow-up email. You don't have to wait for a fake webinar that's not actually live. None of that. It's a recorded training. You get instant access. So go check it out. I'd appreciate it. And I've said it before on previous episodes. This is my number one marketing strategy for myself for 2019. And I learned a lot of these things in the process of building the system for myself and my staff to pitch me as a expert guest on podcasts. And whenever somebody, whether it's one of my own clients or my friends and peers and colleagues in the space that we all run in, it's my number one recommendation for them too, to grow their brand, build their influence and attract ideal clients. So if that's you and you want more of that, go check that out. That's at howtogetfeatured.com. Thanks again so much. And we'll see you on the next episode of the UX podcast.